Jesus and Nicodemus, good morning, Christian America. This is an important conversation that we're going to discuss when we get into scripture this morning. It's the conversation between the Pharisees, Nicodemus, who comes to Jesus humbly and honestly and earnestly, seeking his counsel, seeking his guidance. And it's one of the rare times in which Jesus puts away the parables and speaking very cryptically because of Nicodemus's education on the subject. And he speaks plainly as to how we can be saved. That is so much in this brief passage we're going to talk about that helps build and shape our faith. So let's get right into it. Good morning, Christian America. And good morning, Christian America. Eddie here is always representing the Christian American revitalization effort where we seek to revitalize the Christian faith across this nation. We don't ask for donations. We ask for participation. You can participate by liking and sharing and subscribing to this podcast, to this YouTube channel, to this Rumble channel. Friends, it's important in these days that we spread the faith of Christ across our nation. If we don't, we separate ourselves spiritually from God, individually and collectively, and then we begin to decay that spiritual decay leads to emotional and psychological decay, that psychological and emotional decay lead to physical decay. And I think we're starting to see the beginnings of that as a, as a country, as a, as a whole. So it's important that we spread the message of Christ. And we do that in a few ways, uh, seeking to inspire, to inform, and, and to educate the nation, our communities, our families on scripture. Not on our, our ideas of scripture, but scripture itself on what Jesus says, the example that he lived, and what he tells us, and how we should be living our lives in order to further the kingdom of God, to better ourselves individually, to better our families, better our communities collectively. And with that, friends, we want to get into scripture today. We're going to start in John chapter 3, and I'm going to preview this just briefly so you can understand what's taking place if you haven't followed us uh, last week. So we're in John chapter three. And at the beginning of John, uh, it, it opens very eloquently, right? And, and what we said a few weeks back is that the, the great part of uh, John's gospels, because John actually lived, outlived all the other uh, original first 12 apostles. John was there from the very beginning in Jesus's baptism, following John the Baptist. And then so, and John is there at the foot of the cross when Jesus is eventually uh, 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 crucified. John is also there at the empty tomb when Jesus is resurrected. John outlasts the torture and eventually is exiled uh, in Greece, and he's able to compose this gospel. So when, when you hear him speak about the things that happen, he also has a tendency to reflect on it as someone who is speaking about it 20 or 30, 40 years later, having the full knowledge of what Jesus meant when he said it originally. And it's, that's how it's, John's gospel is a little bit different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke's. And so we, we, we are blessed to have that with us. And I say that because in this conversation, Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a studied individual, one who knows the Old Testament law, is, comes to Jesus humbly and earnestly. He comes for advice. He comes to ask questions. 
He doesn't come to criticize. He doesn't come to trap Jesus in his own words, but he comes to learn from him. And Jesus, knowing his history, knowing that his mental and intellectual capacity to understand the Old Testament, Nicodemus would know the Torah. Nicodemus would have read the Psalms. Nicodemus would have studied the prophets and what they've said. And so Jesus references some of these uh, Old Testament actions that take place with Moses and references some phrases of Isaiah that he doesn't elaborate on, but that we can look at and point back to because Nicodemus would have known what Jesus was talking about. So this is one of the few times where Jesus is interacting and we get a chance to hear exactly what he means. Not, uh, not in parable form, but pretty plain spokenly. So let's, let's get into it briefly because we want to show it to you and read it to you verbatim. So there's no question as to what Jesus is saying and teaching here. John, uh, the gospel of John chapter three, we're going to start at verse one with Nicodemus. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. He came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you are doing unless God is with them. Jesus answered and said to him, Amen, amen, I say to you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, how can a person once grown be born again? Surely he cannot re-enter his mother's womb and be born again, can he? Jesus answered, amen, amen, I say to you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of flesh and what is born of this, what is born of flesh is flesh and what is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it wills, and you cannot hear the sound it makes. But you do not know where it, come from, where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered him and said to him, how can this happen? And Jesus answered and said to him, you are a teacher of Israel, and you do not understand this. Amen, amen, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But you people do not accept our tes testimony. If I tell you about earthly things, and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has gone up to heaven except the one who has come down from heaven, the son of man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so must the son of man be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe has already been condemned because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the verdict. 
that the light came into the world, but people preferred darkness to light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come toward the light so that his works might be exposed, might not be exposed. But whoever lives the truth comes to the light so that his works may be clearly seen as done in God. So that's a long passage, but it's super important because it's, it helps shape so much of our faith because of the plain, uh, the, the plain spokenness of Jesus's response to Nicodemus. Nicodemus didn't come to Jesus like the other Pharisees and the scribes and the heretics came uh, to him with animosity and trickery, trying to trap him. He came earnestly. He came at night. He was probably scared for his own safety, reaching out to Jesus. And he starts off first and foremost by declaring Jesus's power and authority. He says, I come to you, um, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one uh, can do the signs that you are doing unless God is with him. So first and foremost, there's the recognition. He's humble in his appearance and his presentation. He, he recognizes Jesus for who he is and the power that he holds. And he asks him some earnest questions. And Jesus says to him, amen, I say to you that no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born from above. Which is confusing to Nicodemus and it would be confusing to everyone. And so Jesus explains that. And he says that you have to be born again in the spirit with spirit and water. This is the gospel of, uh, according to John. John, in the first uh, part of this gospel, recounts Jesus's baptism. Jesus himself was baptized by John the Baptist. He was baptized with water. He later tells his disciples to go and baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. If this is one of these times where John's understanding 30 years later, 40 years later, reflecting on this passage is able to uh, provide us with more context that Jesus is saying, you have to be baptized. And in this baptism, you're cleansed of the rest of the world. You're cleansed of the old self. You're cleansed of the flesh. He says, if you're born of the flesh, you're flesh. But when you're born of the spirit, you're spirit. So in this cleansing, this, this baptism, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, you are putting your old sins away. You're being cleansed of them. And you're forming, you're being born again into the life of the spirit, the life that Christ has for you. And it, once you do this, this is the first step into a new life, is that initial washing, that initial uh, uh, rebirth of a life in the spirit of Christ. The conversation goes on when Nicodemus doesn't know what he means. Jesus explains something similar that I just explained. And he gives a little bit more detail about, uh, yeah, it's not easy to understand. Just like we don't understand where the wind, you don't understand where the wind comes 
comes from or where it goes, but you know it's there. So it is so with the Son of Man, with those who were born in the Spirit. Those of us who have been born again, those of us followers of Christ and have received this Holy Spirit, when we are filled with that Holy Spirit, when things are going so right in our lives and we're worshiping and we're praying and things are moving in the right direction and you wake up with an with, with a extra oomph in your step, we know what that feeling is. We've all been to church service where you feel the spirit within you that you don't know where it entered. You just know that it's there. Being born in that spirit again is what Jesus is referring to in, in, in this part of the conversation. If we, can, if we keep on going, um, there's, a, there's a second and third portion of this passage that is pretty important. Um, one, when Jesus says, amen, amen, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you people, meaning the Pharisees, the religious people, you people do not accept our testimony. Very similar to what's happening today is that I just described to you how you and I probably have felt, have experienced and seen other people experience the joy and the glorification that a life with Christ brings, that, it's, that we feel. There's no, there, there, there's no uh, ambiguity about that. We know in our hearts that Christ has done good things for us, that God is good, not some of the time, but that he's good all of the time. And we testify to that fact. That's what this program is about. That's what this organization is about. And there are millions worldwide dedicated to the same thing. And so we testify to the goodness of God. And what Jesus is recognizing when he's talking to Nicodemus is that you, you people, meaning the people who don't believe in me, that you people are not believing those who are testifying to Jesus's, or in his case, to my goodness. These people don't understand that. And so he, he further kind of explains uh, his role here when he says that the son of man must be lifted up as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert. Now, he doesn't expand on that because this is Nicodemus, a Pharisee, an educated man that he's talking to. I'll explain it to you briefly if you go back to the book of Numbers. Uh, because of the people of Israel's uh, unfaithfulness, their disloyalty to God, they were infested with snakes. And those snakes were biting people and killing them. And they cried out to Moses to intercede on their behalf to God. And Moses did, and God commands Moses to uh, make a serpent, a golden serpent. And then Moses, in turn, tells the people to make a golden serpent. And that Moses takes this golden serpent, and he holds it up so that anyone who looks at this serpent will not die and be healed. This is what Jesus is referring to when he says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so must the son of man be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. He just talked about the unbelief and the calamity of the unbelief. And, the, and he, he, he equates that to 
ancient Israel's unbelief in the desert and how they were plagued because of their unbelief with snakes and torture and torment. And so he's making, Jesus is making this connection to someone who would understand it. And then Jesus says, just like Moses raised up that serpent, the son of man must also be raised. Not so that those that look at him will be saved, but that those who believe in him will be saved. And we think about that in the context of all the crosses that we see in all of our churches, in our jewelry, in uh, you know, tattoos, and all, all over society. There's, a, there's an understanding when we see the cross, or at least there should be an understanding, a recognition when we see the cross, especially the cross with Jesus on it, that we look upon that so that we believe and that we are saved and we might not die that eternal death. Similarly to those ancient Israelites who would not die uh, from their snake-bitten death through unbelief. And then we get into John uh, 3.16, which most of us know is probably the most well-known passage of the Bible. So God loved God. So loved the world that he gave his only son, that everyone who believes in him might not perish, but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. Jesus says this also in a, in a future passage that he's not the condemner. He's not the judge. There will be a judge, but he's not there on earth providing his ministry in order to judge and condemn because that time is coming. And so this passage encompasses the faith. Again, one of these few times where Jesus is not speaking in parables, he quite literally says, I'm God's son. I came to the world not to condemn it, but so that you who believe in me will not perish and have eternal life. And that statement alone can kind of encompass what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a believer in Christ. He goes on to say that whoever believes in him will not be condemned. But then he follows it up with whoever does not believe has already been condemned. So if Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, and he's telling us if that if we believe that we are that we will not be condemned and he's telling us and everyone else that if they don't believe that they've already been condemned there should be no reason for people who call themselves to be condemning other people because Jesus kind of lays this out it's already happening you don't have to voice your opinion and uh, and condemnation towards others. That's not your role. It's not even Jesus's role, according to this passage. Our role and his role is to love those people. To love those people and hope that they look upon that cross and that they believe and that they would be born again into the spirit rather than the flesh. 
if they choose not to, that's not our role. And I'll follow it up with um, another important point because we, we just talked about the belief. We talked about being born again, which is about believing in, in Christ and who he is. But then he furthers that up and he, he starts to talk about the works. That if you are a believer, if you do believe in him, you're going to do these things, right? You're going to, your work is going to be working towards the light because you're going to want the light to show what you've been doing. When you're seeking good works, if you're being kind to people, if you're uh, taking care of people who are homeless or people who uh, are helpless or people who are disabled or being nice to your neighbor or even biting your tongue uh, when, when people uh, attack you, when you turn the other cheek, when you live this life of Christianity, when you're living that because you believe in Christ that you're going to seek the light so that the light may shine on these works, but those who are not doing these things. They're going to run from it. They're going to try to deny that the light exists. They don't want to move to the light. They want to stay in the darkness. Recognize that as we interact with the world. Recognize that when you see on social media and media and the news and people in positions of power and authority with the way that they speak about Christianity, the way that they speak about God the way that they speak about believers such as ourselves and recognize if they are trying to make sure that their works, their words, their deeds are being shown to the light or are they trying to hide from the light, deny that the light exists. That should tell you in this last portion of the passage, uh, John chapter three, verse 20 and 21 where they are spiritually, where they are in reference to a Christian and a biblical foundation. If they're strong in a biblical foundation, a spiritual foundation, they're going to seek the light. They're going to talk about the light. They want to do works uh, to, to be shown in the light. And if they're not, then they're not. And we need to recognize those people for who they are. Hopefully you get something out of this message. Hopefully this has been educational, inspirational, and informational for you. Um, if you support what we're trying to do here, we don't ask for donations. Just like, share uh, this video. Follow us on social media. Subscribe to this YouTube channel, this Rumble channel. Um, and wherever you're listening to this podcast, also, you can go to ChristianAmericanTees.com, pick yourself up some Christian American apparel. And until Friday, you guys uh, stay on fire for Christ. Stay blessed. Good morning, Christian America.